0: Are you ready to revamp your summer wardrobe for some hot times ahead? With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect summer wardrobe. I had a work thing, and I was worried about looking fresh because it was hot, and I was taking the train. On Armoire, I found a pair of stretch crepe wide-leg pants, along with a wrinkle-resistant blazer I put on for the indoor air conditioning. I don't want to brag, but I looked and felt great. I don't need to wear business casual very often, and I don't want to clutter up my closet. So I'm returning the clothes and choosing other styles to wear. They'll show up at my door in as little as two days. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datingwallgray. That is armoire.style. A R M O I R E dot style slash datingwallgray to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. It's summertime and I am upgrading my wardrobe with high quality essentials that will last beyond the season quince is where i'm finding luxurious items without paying luxurious prices quince prices are 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands that's because quince partners directly with top factories to cut out the cost of the middleman and pass the savings on to customers like me and you even better, Quince works only with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing practices, so I can feel good about getting high-quality items that last longer, like a washable silk skirt and cashmere tee I got, along with a new carry-on hardshell suitcase, color gray, of course. Upgrade your closet this summer with Quince. Right now, go to quince.com slash to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash datingwallgray for free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash datingwallgray. I'm Laura Stassi, and this is Dating While Gray, The Grown-Up's Guide to Love, Sex, and Relationships. On this episode, three stories of defining commitment on your own terms. My Aunt Mary Jane was divorced the first time around and widowed the second time. Then, when she was 79, she got married for the third time. And like she did in her other two marriages, she took her husband's last name. I think of Aunt Mary Jane as a strong woman ahead of her time, but she did choose a very traditional way of expressing romantic commitment. She got married, changed her name. That's certainly what I did. I got married, changed my name. And for many people, this is the ideal way to express commitment. According to one study, people 50 and older who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender are more likely than younger LGBT adults to choose same-sex marriage over simply living together. Of course, LGBT couples haven't always had that option. But I think it shows that whether you're gay or straight, marriage seems like the best way to prove you're committed to someone. So, yay marriage, if that's your thing. But if there's anything I've learned since becoming single, it's that marriage isn't the only way to demonstrate commitment. We have options, or as one sociologist described it, different ways of organizing your life. Organizing your life, I really like that phrase. Because to me, it emphasizes that we're in control. We can custom build commitment to fit our needs and desires, pick and choose the elements and create new ones that work for our unique circumstances. One story that has expanded my understanding of commitment is from Elaine Elliott. She's a big deal in college sports. Elaine started coaching women's college basketball when she was right out of college herself. She spent 27 seasons coaching the University of Utah team, and all but one were winning seasons. So professionally, a lot of success. Personally, maybe a different story. For most of her life, Elaine was closeted. That changed in her mid-40s when she met a woman named Lisa. They fell in love, bought a house, and moved in together. They were a couple for about 15 years. And then they broke up, separating into different bedrooms so they could figure out next steps. But the end of the romance did not mean the end of Elaine's commitment to Lisa, especially when Lisa needed her most.
1: She had been having um, issues with what we thought was a rotator cuff. She sort of just had shoulder pain. So she went to an orthopedic doctor first, Mm -hmm. and he did an X-ray. I mean, I think he even used the word cancer to Lisa that day. I wasn't at the appointment. Um, I hope I'm not recollecting correctly, but... It was, you know, here's the x-ray of your shoulder, and, you know, your, your bone's not supposed to look like that.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Is that where the cancer started, in her shoulder? or No, no. That was how they found cancer in her. Yeah, the origin was breast cancer. Mm. It had already spread. That led to an immediate, um, she had stage 4 breast cancer from the first diagnosis. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So
0: that must have been so scary for both of you scary for her, knowing that she doesn't have you as a romantic partner anymore, and also scary for you thinking, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do now?
1: I mean, I remember her immediately and specifically as she was sitting on the couch, and I walked in the front door from another, you know, outing, and she just said, you know, I need to talk to you for a minute, and I sat down, and it was like that first thing was, you know, I. I think I have cancer. And I mean, she, mm-hmm. you know, started to cry and I'm like, what? <laughs> and we just had this, you know, a, kind of a quick conversation because of course we didn't know much, at, Yeah. which was sort of like, well, okay. Okay. We'll just go fix it. You know, this day and age, you, you don't just immediately think cancer, you're dead. You think, okay, mm-hmm. many people live. So we sort of, it was just, you know, in your coach mode. Yeah. Let's just go, whatever, cut it out. You know, flood you with shit. Okay, excuse me for the language, but do it. Let's do it. Um, it. Won't be pleasant. That sucks. Cancer. That sucks. Yeah. I didn't give any thought at that point in time to uh, what that meant for me. Right. It wasn't as though, well, oh, this is a terminal illness, and we don't really know how long, and we don't know the difficulties of the care needs, and that wasn't initially. Um, even a, a, a consideration.
0: When did it become a consideration? When did you actually realize, or you know, confronted with the reality of everything?
1: Yeah, well, once, um, you know, the process of getting to the, okay, breast cancer, you know, this the first thing we call is a surgeon. She, you know, came in and basically had to announce that, well, I won't be a part of this treatment. There, you are not a candidate for oh. surgery. It's stage four uh-huh. and you will not have any different prognosis if we take you know, if we did a double mastectomy it won't change. And she said, you know, you have years not months. And Lisa her response, you know, she kind of was well, it it wasn't good news to her in that she said, well, I suppose that's good news to you. She goes, but I th- I thought I would have decades. Mm. Now what does years mean? You know, two years, 10, I mean. um, And you know, no one would think lesser of you if you had
0: decided, you know what, I will be your supportive friend, but I don't, I can't be intimately involved with your, with your mm -hmm.
1: life at this point. Mm -hmm. Did that ever cross your mind or? Never. Mm -hmm. And, and the thing that's, I, I mean, maybe understanding a little bit about, I mean, the reason that was easy, it wasn't, it, and it isn't seemed to me in any way heroic. I was here. It was like, I, yeah, and Chris would have done it, and Lane would have done it, and, you know, her sister would have done it, and, well, no, but they none of them lived in Salt Lake City. And so, you know, so obviously, the disruption to somebody else's life to sort of say, come and care for her for however long, um, it wasn't I was, and I was the same as all those people were, and yep. they would have done it had they been here. There are emotional complications with caregiving that I understand now in a, in a different way. And part of it does include, to be perfectly honest with you, part of it does include... Well, what about me? What about my life? (laughs)
0: Sure. I was going to just say that you you talk about the friends that were out of town. Um, It would be too disruptive. It would have been disruptive geographically to them. But in many ways, it was as
1: disruptive to your life as well. I'm not even sure why I I kind of thought, well, I think, God, that might only mean, you know, a couple years. But I didn't also think that it was some sort of, you know, decade long commitment to, you know, a terminal illness either. So maybe if I'd known that, maybe I a couple years is not very long. she doesn't have very long any I I would never not do this. I would never not help her. I would never not stay in this, you know, in this space in her life. It was more like, okay, I don't want to live my life on hold. Yes. I don't want to live my life Waiting for Lisa to die. Yeah. But I want to be there for Lisa. So there were sort of conflicting, you know, emotions about it. But then, sort of, my, my questioning about my life came at about three years in, where I said, I, you know, I, I just, I, I have to get busier. I have to find something for me to do that makes me feel like I'm moving in some direction and not just you know, um, waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, um, I actually left for six months for a job um, in California Uh from like September, maybe August till the next March, Um, a coaching job, just helping an ex assistant and um, staying busy in that regard. And I mean, I moved, but I came back to Salt Lake like every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it was, that was, even what made moving away easier, to be honest with you, and even sort of doing a job in California. I wasn't interested in actually moving and leaving Salt Lake City and getting out and never coming back, and it was sort of like, eh, it was like, eh, I'll take a seven-month job. I'm sorry, was Lisa okay with you leaving? The answer is yes, because that was Lisa, you know, absolutely. Uh-huh. She never, ever made me feel like, uh, what are you doing, or why are you doing this, or any I guilt trips? I need you, yeah. Not yeah. at all, not yeah. at all.
0: What was different after you came back?
1: No, it was really, um, I think it ended up being as good as it could possibly be for me. You know, it's like being away from it helped me get completely good with finishing that commitment. That was, uh, it was a good, positive mental health break for me, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I knew Lisa had certainly people who would take up the slack as far as going to her appointments with her, and I remember. Um, I'll probably cry when I talk about this. Uh-huh. Um, I got this email from her. Um, it was right after I had gone back to LA after Christmas, so it was, you know, sometime in January, and it was the most. Uh, it was just, you know, she really laid herself bare in a way that she really isn't. Um, she she's built that way, mm-hmm. and um, that was. You know, if I didn't know already, that was certainly when I knew uh, how important it was. So that, you know, that that made it um, really easy, you know, to come back to. So she sent you an email.
0: That yeah. That explained to you how much she loved you and needed yeah, you. That's true. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Hold on a second. Okay. <laughs> I need to... T- I'm wondering what you learned, both good and bad, about yourself by this experience.
1: Well, I mean, I guess I'm I'm glad that I didn't run away. <laughs> <But> I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly glad that I, I'm glad I wasn't the person who, you know, just was like, you know, not willing, not able, um, whatever real things that can happen to people. And we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be like, what, you're a terrible person for not doing this. But I'm glad I I wasn't. It has solidified for me my own estimation that if we could understand that, you know, like everyone we've ever loved in our life or any, and had, whether it was a, a a quick love or a committed relationship, just because it wasn't the first one that then lasted, you know, 65 years, I yeah. mean, we that doesn't mean that all of the others are, were failures. You know, the whole, the concept of, you know, how we clap when when people say, yes, we've been married 70 years and they always get applause because that's the successful relationship. It never ended. Mm. Well, I think every relationship should be a successful one. If you, if this person that you were with, you shared love. yes. Um, okay, what if you shared love for two years? Why is that a failure? I'm I'm who I am today for every person that I've loved.
0: I think it's natural to assume, and we may even be relieved to assume, that responsibility ends when the romantic commitment ends. That didn't happen with Elaine. She was dedicated to Lisa after the romance was over. For Elaine, that's what commitment is. Now, of course, everybody defines commitment differently, and there are a lot of reasons to hold back from commitment altogether. After the break, we'll meet a couple who created a definition of commitment that works for them. Dating while gray would not be possible without support from you, our listeners. That means going to wamu.org and clicking Donate. We're dedicated to putting out episodes and being here for you, even while we're all at home. Head to wamu.org right now and show us your support, and thank you. Some people fear commitment. Maybe they think they're not good at it, and they don't want to get hurt or hurt anyone else. That sort of describes Norman. He's been married once, got divorced in his 40s, and then spent the next two decades in and out of casual relationships. Norm grew to believe he wasn't the commitment type. But then... Norm met Jeannie. She's twice divorced and had two kids, young adults, living with her. I'll let Norm and Jeannie tell their story, starting with how they met. You've been.
2: All right, I'll start. Yeah, all right, start.
3: I'll start. I decided to go to the Diversity Thrift Store and donate my amp. There's this room that they take donations, and the doorway had a curtain across it. So I just pulled the curtain back, and there's this smiley face, gorgeous, twinkly eyed woman there with sorting fabrics and i said excuse me can you help me i want to donate this amp and she said boy can i help you
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna take her for the story now (laughs) um no yeah he he, and he pulled aside and i thought oh okay (laughs) and it's funny because it was a cool old amp i think we got into a discussion about the amp because we're both musicians and i thought hmm he could be uh, he could be a, a Game of Thrones extra. We stood
3: there talking for about 20 minutes.
2: And then you uh, messaged me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. like
3: I was floating on the cloud. Like
2: an hour <laughs> later.
3: Yeah. I asked her to go. If we could get together, was it Maymont?
2: Maymont, that was go our first. Go for a walk
3: in Maymont Park.
2: And we met under what what we now term the magic tree, which is a beautiful giant. Uh, uh, I think it's called a deodora cedar. Yeah. it's a gorgeous tree. It looks like a human. I mean, it's it's like an int from <laughs> Lord of the Rings. It's it's incredible. And we just walked around and had a just continued the kind of conversation that uh, we had in the thrift store and then we sat down on a bench and then the conversation got more serious. serious so you can because you were the one who felt like you had stuff to say to me
3: yeah it's a it's a problem that a lot of men have of a certain age but um ed i didn't want to fall for somebody and then her let her down you know being a male and Living with being a male all your life, you know, you you rate yourself according to certain body parts working, and when they're not working so well anymore, you want especially for a woman who's younger than you. I thought I don't want to waste her time. I'll love to. I'd love to be in her life. And I'll be her friend, but I have to be level. I have to level with her.
2: I said, you know, I hadn't actually thought about that, but um, I said there's a lot of other fun stuff you can do. So I said, so do you like to do um, other stuff, cough, cough? And I was trying to kind of keep it like sincerely let him know that it was not a problem for me and that just to sort of keep it a little bit light because I already just thought this guy is so cool Uh and I actually love to... I do, but, and I knew that we would be doing it sometimes. I love to do other stuff too. I love to have fun and laugh and use your imagination. There are so many other things that we can do. And quite frankly, then I was 57 and I thought, well, it would be ridiculous of me to give up my wildling, my beautiful, smart wildling, just because... He doesn't have the plumbing he did 20 years before. When we talk about, "Oh, I wish we'd met then." And then, yeah, sure, I do too sometimes.
3: And so uh, there wasn't any thing where I'm committed to you. We I think we just kind of we just kind of felt it. You know, I am committed to you.
2: Yes. <laughs> right back yeah,
1: at you. Yeah. Yes.
3: And when we get older, I'm, uh, sooner or later, I guess we'll probably end up somewhere. <laughs> and we both have houses, we both have lots of stuff. Yeah. And it would be a lot of work.
2: I mean, one thing that I really admired so much, and I appreciated it so much because he's very supportive of me and how my life, because I have teenagers that are still living at home, it is different than his life.
3: You were different. You were entirely different from anyone I'd ever dated. I, mean, I didn't believe you existed. <laughs> Immediately. It was her vibe. It was the the. The chemistry that we had, and chemistry, as you know, yeah. as, as anybody who has feelings knows, chemistry is really important in a relationship. I mean, she's, a, she's my drug. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy her company. I mean, we have discussions. And she's really good at being honest. If, if I say something that's bothering her, if I've, I've said something that, that hurt her feelings, and it wasn't my intention, but it came out that way, she lets me know. She calls me on it, but she doesn't call me in a a mean way or an angry way.
2: That first year was so fun and so beautiful and very emotional and exciting and wonderful, but it was also very rocky. We were learning each other, and you know, a 57-year-old and a 67-year-old, we both had baggage from other relationships that we were dealing with, it didn't even happen that often that we would get into these moments of tension. I mean, weeks could go by. Weeks and weeks or, you know, month and a half. Mm-hmm. And then some normal tension that wasn't even about usually anything we could remember now. Except for the bike incident. That's yeah, the exactly. one. <laughs> that was the bike riding incident. So
3: the first one or the second well,
2: one? There were, <laughs> there, <laughs> were, there were two
3: bike incidents. Uh,
2: oh, were there really? There are times when you would be like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't... It's like, I would sort of look at you. I remember one time you said to me, I don't know if I can be in a relationship. I just, I feel like I'm bad at it. I feel like I get mad too easily. And I'm just, it's it causes me anxiety and stress. I think you had anxiety about displeasing me because most of our relationship was so almost idyllic and fun that when we would get into little normal tiffs, about conflicts, about small, small things that you thought it was a sign of impending doom. Like, oh, this is just gonna keep happening more and more. I said, well, no, this is kind of normal. And if you're gonna hold me to the level of being your hippie fairy queen, perfect little sex kitten that we just only have fun and talk about politics and the Beatles. I can't live up to that. I'm human too. I'm gonna be moody sometimes too.
3: We've told each other you're the one. Yeah, before I I never quite figured out why doesn't this feel right? But there's something missing. I don't I don't get it. And I was always the one that would say, we gotta stop seeing each other. But then when I met her, it was just like, I don't know, we just it was like meeting your soulmate. It sounds sounds real cliche but it was it was like meeting your soulmate
1: all i do is dream of you i'm holding you closer it seems look in my eyes do you realize i'm lost lost in a dream
0: Norm wrote the song you're hearing for Jeannie. Not only do they have fun together, but Jeannie serves as Norm's muse. Norm and Jeannie have been together for three years now. They're not married. They're not living together. They've never even said out loud the C word, commitment, until I interviewed them. But you heard them. They're committed. The relationship they've built together works for them.
2: Lost in a dream.
0: We've got one more story about what commitment can look like. It's from Diane Reem, and it's both old-fashioned and modern. We'll be right back.
1: Look in my eyes,
2: do you realize I'm lost, lost in a dream? And
3: Repeat that. Lost, lost in a dream.
2: Lost, lost in a dream.
3: Lost, lost in a dream.
0: this week my producer told me about a first date her neighbor went on they went on a bike ride and stayed six feet apart they supposedly had fun but I don't know about that how about you in these days of physical distancing how are you connecting socially are you even attempting to get a new relationship off the ground Let us know by calling 202-895-Gray and leaving a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. 202-895-Gray. Marriage is the traditional way to express commitment, but that doesn't mean we have to incorporate all of the elements like changing your name or even living together. Which brings me to Diane Rehm. She really needs no introduction. She's the living legend who hosted a daily news show from NPR for more than 20 years. Diane was married to John Rehm for more than 50 years. During the last nine years of their marriage, John suffered from Parkinson's, and he made the decision to end his life by refusing to eat, drink, or accept medication. Diane told me that after John died, Dating was the furthest thing from her mind, let alone remarriage. But that was before an
4: old acquaintance reached out to reconnect. We actually met for the first time more than 30 years ago. We had a mutual friend, and we were both at his home, and he was with his wife, I was with my husband, And we barely said two words. He told me later he heard my voice across the room and said to himself, oh, Diane Reims here. But we did not chat. There was no connection whatsoever. And then when my last book on my own came out, He sent me a letter, not an email, but (laughs) a letter, and said, you know, uh, you and I met through so-and-so, and I lost my wife, and I'm living now here in Florida, and if you're around in Florida, I'd love to take you for a cup of coffee. He didn't say a drink. He didn't say lunch. He said a cup of coffee. And I wrote him and I said, how nice to hear from you. As a matter of fact, I'll be in Orlando um, next month. And if you'd like to come, I'd be happy to say hello. And it would be lovely to see you. How did you, when you got this letter...
0: From virtually a stranger, even though he said that you had met, what were you feeling at that time?
4: Well, I remembered the name. I didn't remember what he looked like. I just thought of our mutual friend, and I thought since his fellow identified himself as a Lutheran pastor, retired, working in a hospice down in Mm Florida— I just thought out of courtesy Uh I should um, respond to that letter, so that's what I did. (laughs) So I get down to Orlando, there are 1,500 people in the audience, Uh 500 had paid extra to come through a line to shake my hand and have me sign their book. He was one of the 500. Walked up, introduced himself, and I said, Oh, how nice to see you, and thank you for your letter, and thanks for coming. He hugged me, we kissed each other, and had a photograph taken. And then he walked away, and as he walked away, He turned around and looked at me, and I turned around and looked at him. At the same time. And something happened. Oh, That's all I can tell you. (laughs) That's all I can tell you. You know, I've been looking for magical
0: moments. Everybody kind of laughs at me when I'm thinking, there's so much element of timing and magic
4: involved, I think, in falling in love. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I certainly cannot say... I fell in love at that moment, but he's a tall, wonderful-looking man and very gracious and just warm. And I felt a lovely connection, but certainly not love. Right, and, but an indescribable
0: bing, like electricity. something.
4: something. Something. When I got back to Washington, I still wasn't thinking about him, but he sent me another email, this time saying, you know, I'd really like to get to know you better. Could I come to Washington to visit you? And uh, you know, my very proper self said, "Well, you're welcome to come. There's a hotel a few miles away, and if you'd like to come and spend a couple of days, that's fine with me." Mm-hmm. And so, he, um, he did come up, and he, and I were enjoying ourselves, and I said tell me why you're here. <laughs> and he said, because I love you. Oh, my God. And I said, well, I think that's ridiculous. You <laughs> don't really know me. And he said, yes, I do. I know you through your books. I know you through your radio program. I know who and what you are and what you stand for. And... I have fallen in love with you. And oh. I said, well, I'm not there, period. <laughs> and then when he got home, he wrote and asked me to come down to Florida to see his home, to meet his son and his family. So I thought about that for a bit, and then I thought, well, okay. Okay. I came back to Washington, and he wrote again, and came up again, and we spent more
0: time. So, I'm sorry, I'm assuming when you went to stay with her, visit him, you stayed in his house, but you stayed in one of the other bedrooms. I certainly did.
4: Was it weird being in the same house with him? No. I just wanted to know him. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to know his life. I wanted to know how he spent his time.
0: What point was it where you thought, okay, he's he's already said he loves me, and it's only growing, I'm assuming, on his side. Was there a moment where you thought,
4: you know what, I love you too? I began thinking about what aloneness would be like as I grew older. And so I think that there were simply many moments watching him and being with him and seeing how much he cared for me and how much he demonstrated his care for me that helped my appreciation for him turn into love.
0: So when was the point that you decided to get married? It sounds like it was a beautiful long-distance romance. Finally,
4: um, we just both decided, well, let's get married.
0: You know, I think it's certainly understandable for people to think, why get married? Because then you're, you know, you're going to have the legal aspects of one of you is going to go before the other one goes. And maybe
4: neither one of you want to take that on anymore. Sure. But I'm old fashioned. And for the sake of my grandchildren, I decided that living together was not a good example. So for me, the idea of living together just didn't fit my personality, did not fit my thinking, did not fit my upbringing, did not fit my way of life. Right. So you wanted to be legally married. Absolutely. Uh And at the same time, you aren't living together. Well, he maintains his work. Mm -hmm. As a hospice chaplain Mm -hmm. in West Palm Beach, I maintain my work here. We are each quite comfortable.
0: But you're saying... Um, the reason you wanted to get married is so that when you do spend time together, you're spending time together as husband and wife.
4: Absolutely. You're not spending
0: time together as girlfriend or boyfriend. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. But was it a discussion when you were talking about getting married? Or was did, did John know that you were not going to be moving to Florida? Yes. And he knew that he couldn't leave Florida. Right. So that was okay. It was right. just like, Bye. yeah. Fine. Yeah. Just Bye. We'll be married and yeah. have a long-distance relationship. Yeah. Works well
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can see that there will be some times where it's nice to to ha you know to know that you've got this partner, but that you both you know you had full and complete lives when you came together exactly so there's no need to have to um you know compromise on who you already are exactly.
4: Has there ever been a moment where you thought, "Ugh, I wish you were here sure. There are times when I say, oh, I wish John were here. I miss him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm still absolutely happy the way things are.
0: For Diane, marriage is important. But the name change and living together elements of marriage, they didn't fit into her definition of commitment. Diane's become an advocate for talking about end-of-life issues and the right to die on one's own terms. She and her husband, John Hagedorn, both have full, happy lives when they're together and when they're apart. If you want to hear more from Diane, she hosts a podcast called On My Mind. It's also from WAMU, where we produce Dating While Gray. And she's got a new book out, When My Time Comes. You know, when I got married, I happily took my husband's last name. But before my divorce was even final, I gave it back. I legally returned to my last name, Stasi. It did feel a little weird at first. I had been known by my ex's last name longer than I had been known by my own. On the other hand, it felt wrong for me to be identified by my married name when I was no longer a wife. I don't think I'll ever change my name again. But... I did leave room for a hyphen. I think marriage still feels like the ideal expression of commitment for me, but who knows? After all, it takes two people to agree on their definition of commitment. (music) Dating While Gray is produced by Ponce Rutsch, Patrick Fort, Ruth Tam, Julia Karen, and me, Laura Stassi. Our theme music is by Daniel Peterschmidt and Patrick Fort mixed this episode. WAMU's general manager is JJ Yor, and Andy McDaniel oversees everything we make here. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to datingwallgray at wamu.org, or follow us on Facebook, search for Dating Gray, and like our Facebook page. Or you can see what I'm up to on Twitter, at datingwallgray. Gray. And of course, leave us a voicemail, 202-895-GRAY. G-R-A-Y. Dating While Gray would not be possible without the support of WAMU's members. Support us right now with your donation at WAMU.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more stories of Dating While Gray.